Hey y'all, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the world of fitness and nutrition. Today, I'm so excited about this podcast and the topic, so get ready, get excited, and let's jump right in. First off, I want to thank you so much for taking your time to listen to my podcast. If you enjoy Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio, please make sure that you subscribe and you leave a review because the reviews are how we grow and how I am able to reach more and more people and help others and help them improve their lives and learn about everything they want to know in regards to fitness and nutrition. So please make sure you leave a review, you like this podcast, and for anybody who leaves a review for the next two weeks, I will be giving all those people a free workout of choice. So whether you want a leg day or a shoulder day or a back day, all you have to do is email me. My email is in the description of this podcast. All you have to do is email me your submitted review and then you get that workout. And that is just my way to give back and thank you for leaving a review. All right, guys, we are about to jump into this episode. Get excited. Let's go. Hey guys, I'm so excited today. I have an awesome guest. His name is Sam Miller um, and he is here and we're going to discuss a variety of topics that you guys are going to love. So um, Sam, do you mind telling my listeners a little bit about you, who you are and your background? Sure. So as Lacey introduced me, uh, my name is Sam Miller. I am currently the owner and founder of Oracle Training and Nutrition. I'm located in Raleigh, North Carolina and have a particular interest and passion to all things related to nutrition, training, uh, applied science, and hormones is kind of the area that I tend to talk about a lot when uh, working with clients or on podcasts. I have an experience of um, competing kind of similar to Lacey and MPC and men's physique and ended up on this journey both as a result of kind of my own personal fitness pursuits and then also working with clients over time. So thanks for having me, Lacey. I'm excited to chat with you today. No, of course. I'm stoked. Um, I know you have a world of a background. So uh, do you mind telling me essentially what m- made you so interested in hormones and, and, and physique, you know, physique competitions? What started you in all this? So the physique competitions were kind of unrelated. It was just sort of a passion um, in terms of I had done both a mix of individual sports and group athletics growing up and um, kind of similar, you know, I know you had a little bit of a cheerleading background and I think we all kind of look for different outlets depending on our personal interests and our passions. And so ultimately I got involved um, in bodybuilding in college. We didn't actually have men's physique yet because I think that came out in uh, 2012. So I ultimately went down that path and um, around that same time though, and even a little before that, I became interested in hormones at a very young age just based on, I had a little bit of a pituitary injury from a head injury, also wasn't super savvy in terms of nutrition when I was younger. I think guys and girls kind of throughout high school going into college, it's kind of that time of your life when, you know, if you're going to get healthier, maybe you're trying new workouts or you start to read these different popular magazines and honestly, those aren't always the best in terms of advice or not the same thing a one-on-one coach. So I'm sure as we've experienced, uh, I kind of ended up in a uh, sort of double negative situation where I had uh, my head injury was actually from snowboarding. So it was just related to sports and being active. Um, nothing that I was like, no genetic predispos- uh, predispositions that we know of. 
and uh, just kind of led me to have a little bit more awareness around my own health. I was having more blood work done, uh, different MRIs and stuff in terms of on uh, my pituitary and my brain in general. And that kind of resolved itself over time, but it sort of opened Pandora's box in terms of, wow, I didn't really realize that there were all these inner workings here. And if this is going on for me and I'm an otherwise pretty healthy person, I can only imagine what it's like for someone who maybe already had a thyroid condition or already had um, maybe for in males, it could be related to to, uh, testosterone, excuse me, or, um, you know, for females, obviously hormones can play a huge role in terms of physique and transformation as well. So mine uh, sort of relates to my personal story. That's when I started having a lot of experience and spending a lot of time with endocrinologists and starting to dive into kind of PubMed and uh, National Institutes of Health at an early age, probably uncommon for a lot of college kids, but that's sort of where it all started for me. And then um, I had my first personal training certification when I was about 18 and did that all the way through college. And ultimately, um, I think conventional wisdom says, you know, you can't really have a real job as a nutrition coach or trainer or anything like that. So I um, actually, similar to one of my former coaches and mentors, John Meadows, like went into the corporate world. I know he was more in banking, I think with JP Morgan, I went in and got an MBA and went out into uh, corporate strategy and consulting, ultimately realized that fitness is kind of where my passion was. Mm-hmm. And as I was, I was sort of online coaching that entire time, but really took uh, the full plunge into uh, just coaching clients full time and having my own business in about halfway through 2016. So it's been a couple years now. And uh, now I've sort of been more in that niche of nutrition, science, hormones, and and helping people who maybe did follow one of those magazine diets or one of those fad diets that weren't customized for them. And now ultimately we're trying to repair that process through maybe a reverse diet or um, repairing some of the things that they've encountered throughout that, uh, throughout their personal fitness journey. So something I enjoy doing and an area that I think uh, there's never too much education to get that information out there for people. No, there never is. And thank you for I, I've listened to your the podcast episodes you've been on. And thank you for being an educator and helping spread the science and, you know, not the crazy myths and the the pseudoscience that is being right. spread everywhere. So I love seeing that. I love it. Um, so you guys, today we are going to talk about a variety of different little topics for you that hopefully will give you um some some tips and some knowledge to take away with you um, for your life, for your physique goals, for your life goals. So uh, the first thing that we're going to talk about is essentially circadian rhythms and cortisol and stress. So as we know, the HPA axis is highly influenced by our stress levels. It's influenced by cortisol, epinephrine. There's a whole entire variety of mechanisms that can happen. So I am not actually fully up to date on everything in regards to the circadian rhythms. I know things like um, late night workers and people who work the night shift has it has a substantial role on um, causing insulin resistance and influencing the circadian rhythms, influencing hormones. But overall, circadian rhythms are not my forte. So I'm super excited because Sam has a lot more knowledge in that area, and hopefully, he can give more insight than I would. Thanks, Lacey. So I, I think you're definitely very modest. I mean, even your your tutorial or explanation kind of introducing the topic is probably more, more than most people would care to, to share. But I see circadian rhythms or just in terms of your daily 
biological clock as a really untapped area for people to maximize uh, their transformation, their physique goals, and just their general quality of life and how good you feel on a daily basis. Our hormones really uh, thrive on that. So when we're able to sleep and truly recover, we put ourselves in the best position possible to uh, make progress towards our goals. So that's why I'm uh, such a big proponent of talking about these issues and really making sure people are are educated. So at a, a very high level, um, I think when people talk about circadian rhythm and we get in all these hormones, we forget that it really ties back to really basic habits like you know having a bedtime for yourself, making sure you get proper recovery and sleep and um, how can we structure our training in a way where um, we can you know optimize our recovery and make sure that cortisol is regulated and we don't end up with all of these hormonal imbalances. So I work with clients a lot just in terms of thinking about their biological clock. You know, we live in 2018, we're on the computer a lot, we have smartphones, there's blue light everywhere. Um, when really our endocrine system, our H, both our HPA and then in males our HPTA axis is uh, highly sensitive and regulated in a way that's designed to perceive stressors and basically keep us alive, keep us surviving and thriving. And then ultimately, if we are healthy, it would put us in a position where, um, you know, our natural reproductive system and endocrine system exists for uh, reproduction and, and having those hormone levels. But when you're sending your body mixed signals, that's when you start to throw off the circadian rhythm. So I like to start with that baseline. So people really don't overcomplicate it. It's like, how can we look at simple habits like our nutrition, our training, um, and then our sleep in order to start with the best foot forward when it comes to those hormones. And just as you said in the introduction, uh, lack of sleep can lead to a significant reduction in your insulin sensitivity or carbohydrate tolerance for those of you kind of following along at home. Uh, so anytime we can improve that carbohydrate tolerance, that's gonna help us whether we're in a calorie deficit or we're trying to increase lean muscle mass um, and potentially in increase our carbohydrate intake, the more we can utilize those nutrients, that's gonna be highly beneficial to us. So paying attention to insulin sensitivity, we obviously have changes in leptin and ghrelin, so our hunger hormone. Um, so essentially when we're having less sleep, we're putting our bodies in a position where we're more likely to have dysregulation in those hormones as well. And then for males, slow wave sleep is especially important for testosterone production. And when we miss out on that slow wave sleep, we are really compromising that. I think there was actually a study in Asia where uh, males were only sleep deprived for about four days or so, and just a re slight reduction or percentage reduction in sleep le led to about a 20% decrease in their natural hormonal profile. So for all the natural athletes out there, whether you're in contest prep or you are um, just kind of looking to be the best you that you can be, I always try and drive home that it's, you know, quality of sleep really matters staying on that schedule. I use this example a lot on, on podcasts, but basically like 15 minutes of, of extra sleep uh, added at the beginning and 15 minutes of maybe sleeping in or setting your alarm back, that 30 minutes combined um, is about eight days of total sleep per year if you were to add that to your daily routine. So no, no amount is too small, whether it's adding that 10 or 15 minute increment um, kind of bolted on to whatever your current routine is, really adds up over time and how you're gonna show up in your daily life. So that's where I like to start with it and kind of get more into the science from there. Yeah, and just to mention on sleep, um, 
sleep is so impactful for your recovery. It's so impactful for how you're going to digest your nutrients. If you have poor sleep, it's highly likely for a lot of people that they have poor digestion, they feel bloated, they feel weaker in the gym. So just overall people, it's very important that you try and hit at least seven to eight hours of sleep a night. I And what kills me is seeing people, you know, focus too much on grinding you know, and focus too much on doing more and doing more that they forget that if you take away the sleep, you're taking away from your effort and like in what you do during your day. So very important. Right. Sleep is yeah, essential. It's like a quality over quantity thing. It's exactly. not just that there's 60 minutes in an hour. It's like, are you actually working for 50 minutes out of the 60 or are you on for 30 of the 60 or, um, you know, just in terms of when we're talking about output, you know, sleep also kind of similar to exercise we're improving brain derived uh, nootropic factor. So that's helping with cognition and whether you are a graduate student or you have a job or own your own business, you know, you need to make sure that you're uh, functioning optimally from that cognitive perspective. And I think that sometimes gets lost in our culture of, um, you know, hustling and grinding. I mean, even if you're an entrepreneur, even though Gary Vee talks about grinding all the time, there's actually a great podcast with uh, both him and Ariana Huffington, the creator of the Huffington Post, talking about sleep and how to manage it with work travel. So even these people that are highly successful entrepreneurs and business owners and moguls, they're still like having to take a step back and say, hey, like I'm not too good to skip on sleep. And I think we have to do that too sometimes, especially if we're prioritizing fitness in our lives because now we're putting... Uh, extra imposed stressors. So whether we like it or not, a calorie deficit is a form of stress on our body. A um, intense training session is a form of stress on our body. And really the most anabolic things we can do are sleep and then potentially adding food in for recovery to make sure that we're actually uh, repairing and restoring our system to go about, you know, our day-to-day lives and actually make progress with our routine. Yeah, no, exactly. And speaking about um, meals and nutrition, so what are ways that we can maximize healthy um, circadian rhythms with our food? Um, do you do you see anything in regards to meal timing um, or fasting? What are things that we can talk about here? So I I think fasting and a lot of the trends that are out there now. I think you and I have a very similar stance on this, which is. Fasting needs to be individualized, so I try not to make broad strokes in terms of um, in terms of circadian rhythm. Or I think because intermittent fasting is rather a it's it's new in terms of the public attention that it's receiving, even though it's not necessarily a super new um, concept. Fasting has been around for a long time, but uh, overall, like if I think in terms of male and female hormonal health you know, some people have more sensitive endocrine systems. So putting them under a period of fasting, uh, they did a study on men who are participating in Ramadan, which requires uh, certain lengthy fasts over the course of a week. And we actually see certain uh, down regulation in terms of hormones. That's not to say that that happens for everyone. Some people also fast for the cognitive benefits or the digestive benefits. I think if you're having gut health issues, giving your body uh, a little bit of a break to kind of reduce some of that inflammation or um, let's say you really thrive if you have a calorie deficit and you can adhere to your macronutrient uh, prescription or uh, calorie balance better by intermittent fasting. I think 
then you should by all means pursue it. I'm not one of those uh, people that's going to say, well, you have to intermittent fast or you don't have to. I have clients who are attorneys or accountants and their job requires a certain degree of focus in the morning. So we say, hey, let's just, um, you know, it's okay if you skip breakfast, we're going to make up on the macronutrients later in the day and put those around your workout. And that's totally fine. Uh, we also, you know, there are people who really love breakfast and enjoy breakfast foods. And there are ways where maybe we taper the eating window down later in the day. And I think ultimately, if you're feeling good with that, that can, um, I think we, we lose sight of kind of the placebo effect or our mindset and how that can start to impact our stress levels, our hormones, our sleep. Um, if you hate eating at night and you eat a huge meal and that disturbs your sleep, you're probably not going to have, um, you're not going to feel your best. So I try to, um, steer clear of like broad stroke nutrient timing recommendations as it pertains to circadian rhythm. But I think there is some research that if you, um, you know, I, I certainly don't think that having a very difficult to digest meal right before bed would be super intelligent or, um, you know, I do also feel that there's a certain amount of time in the morning when we're waking up where getting up and, oh my God, I, I haven't eaten in eight hours cause I was asleep and I need to immediately have protein and carbohydrates. I think that's sort of overdone in the bodybuilding community a little bit too. Uh, there are kind of these extremes on both ends and I tend to fall a little bit more in the middle. Um, the really, the only nutrient timing and, and circadian rhythm, uh, approach that I do advocate is pre and post-workout nutrition because, we can essentially take the sympathetic state that we're experiencing and turn our body more into a parasympathetic state. So by having uh, essential amino acids and uh, having our pre and post workout nutrition on point, we can help to balance the stress response that we're experiencing from an intense workout. So that's probably the only area that I really encourage clients to focus in on is that workout period, whether it's in the morning, midday or even in the evening, we're going to have food around that period, no matter what, regardless of your eating schedule, eating approach. Um, that's something that I'm, I have a pretty black or white opinion on, but as far as like early in the day versus later in the day, that I think needs to be individualized depending on your client or your personal journey that and what you're experiencing in your day-to-day -day life. No, I 110%, a thousand actually percent agree there. I am a firm believer in pre-workout nutrition essentially um, for both muscle protein synthesis as well as fueling your workouts as well as post-nutrition for that recovery. And something that I would say is an issue with fasting potentially, and I'm a faster, is when people don't have that pre-workout meal and then potentially are losing out on the power output um, for a workout and having enough fuel in order to maximize uh, their workout. So that's just something that could be a detriment with fasting, but wholeheartedly agree that it has to be an individualized approach. I see clients all the time come to me and it's a frequent question, you know, does it matter if I have my carbs in my breakfast versus at night? Or can I move my fat around? Can I have my fat at night? Can I have my fat in the morning? What's going to happen? And I'm like, it's ultimately there's so many things going on in your body during the day. You can't just – and that's, that's the confusing part that for other people is you don't just shut off glycolysis and gluconeogenesis. Those are always ongoing. So just because you have your fat, you're still – 
these processes in digestion, everything, they're still happening throughout the day. So a lot of people, they take um, too, they, they too, take too much of a narrow mind and they need to broaden their aspect of their view of nutrition. Right. Sometimes I think of nutrition as like this really big Jenga game. And sometimes people are playing with the blocks on the very top and we have a very sturdy tower to, to begin with. And they're focusing on like the 2% or the 5% variables when there's this whole entire base foundation of really large blocks that we can focus on, starting with healthy habits, calorie balance, sleep, um, proper pre and post-workout nutrition. And going from there, once we have those huge major pillars covered, I think it's okay to start playing with that five and 10%. Because if you're an athlete or a physique competitor, okay, cool. Maybe we can optimize a routine that's already been perfected. But so many people will come to a coach or begin a transformation process. And they're so worried about whether they eat their fat in the morning or at night and not calorie balance at all, or their food choices, or sleeping that basically they get caught up in these really minor things and it becomes so overwhelming and that's ultimately what breaks adherence and compliance in people's plans i think personally so i like to start with how can we focus on the major 75 to 80 percent and then if something like nutrient timing can add five percent or ten percent and you're extremely competitive and it doesn't stress you out to do that and you enjoy it then let's do that but I wouldn't start and say like, well, the number one thing is that you carb backload or that you eat all your fats in the morning and you don't have any carbohydrates. So I totally agree with you in terms of the body having ongoing processes and people having different needs that need to be um, catered to and, and paid attention to when you have it. That's why I think an intake process as a coach is so important because you really need to take the time to learn and develop an ongoing relationship with the person that you're trying to help and discover okay, what's going to work for them in terms of that overall percentage that we're talking about with those pillars of nutrition and training. So in regards to circadian rhythms, we are in full agreement that, you know, meal timing, workouts, everything has to be individualized. Um, so I would love to dive more into what essentially happens with our sympathetic and our parasympathetic nervous system in regards to workouts. Do you mind describing that so my listeners know a little bit about the science and the hormones um, involved? Sure. So starting really simply, a natural response to workouts would be to have a slight increase in energy breakdown, which is a good thing. We basically want to have energy for our workouts. If we didn't, we would feel super flat. Uh, we would essentially uh, be a little bummed. It would be like getting to the gym and not having that extra gear to try and accelerate and, and really push through our workouts. So that's, uh, that's what should happen as a healthy cortisol response should be generated. Uh, oftentimes what begins to happen as we move through essentially, uh, straining our adrenal glands or not having a healthy circadian rhythm is we will start feeling flat during those periods and kind of over relying on like too much caffeine and things of that nature. Uh, naturally, let's say you work out for an hour or 90 minutes or something like that. You have a basic training session. Uh, we can begin to shift into a parasympathetic state or a rest and digest state by doing things like breathing, stretching, foam rolling. Food is a great way to return into a rest and digest state. So I'm a big fan or advocate of using a combination of essential amino acids, 
depending on the athlete or client, we might use something like branch cyclic dextrin or cluster dextrin along with those essential amino acids. And then following that up with a nice balanced post-workout meal afterwards, um, not necessarily rushing depending on kind of what we're doing during the workout. And if you had a pre-workout meal, then you know we'll take your time and have some proteins and carbs afterwards, but that kind of shifts us back into parasympathetic as well. So a healthy response um, would be that you do have a little bit of heart rate variability. You have this shift into the sympathetic, which is okay. We want a little bit of energy breakdown going on. It's when it starts to get out of hand and, and basically perpetuating throughout the day that we sort of end up with a problem or maybe we're wired and tired at night and not wired for our workouts. And so you'll see clients or maybe in your personal journey as you're moving through your transformation, uh, a bad sign would be like as you are uh, maybe not getting enough sleep, having too much caffeine, or something is off throughout your day, you're having a hard time getting into your workouts and really pushing yourself, feeling like maybe you can't go to that next level of effort or energy expenditure. And then on top of that, what we'll see in terms of labs and blood work is ultimately we'll start to see a decrease in things like DHEA sulfate. If we were to have salivary cortisol done, which um, you can do a four-point salivary cortisol where you're basically taking a measure of salivary cortisol uh, at several different points during the day. And so naturally, we do want a little bit of cortisol in the morning to get us going. And naturally, that would be when we are getting up and starting to kind of wander about, if we think about thousands of years ago, what humans used to do. Uh, the problem is, is that in modern society, a lot of times we'll end up with those elevated cortisol levels in the evening and things begin to become inverted. And then we have low cortisol levels in the morning. Maybe we're lacking those raw materials in terms of what's happening with uh, pregnenolone and DHEA. And we'll start to see that show up in labs. And then also if you were to get um, those salivary measures checked, that's kind of the, the flip-flop that you see happening over time. So for those of you at home that are looking to kind of monitor this, or if you feel that you might have an issue with it, or you're not sure, or you don't have a coach, that's kind of like what's transpiring over time and, and how we sort of look at that holistically. Yes, and something to also note in regards to um, improper cortisol production or regulation would um, would be having blood sugar swings and blood pressure changes, things that aren't normally normal for you. So if your blood pressure is dropping really fast in the middle of a workout, that could be a sign that there's something going on. Um, and then also waking up early, like early in the morning, that is not typically for you. Waking up in the middle of a middle of the night, signs that um, potentially your blood sugar drops and then cortisol has got you going and it's not normally the time for your cortisol to spike yet because cortisol is normally supposed to be highest when you wake up in the morning and then is the lowest at the evening so again it would be bad if you checked your cortisol and then you had a high cortisol in the evening um i actually ordered a cortisol test so i'll be checking my cortisol um this week just for my own personal education because i love testing myself out like a human experiment <laughs> Yeah. So sometimes, you know, you can do blood cortisol. Other times you can do salivary. Uh, there are different ways to check it. But what's important to remember is you have a few things going on here. So cortisol is inversely related to several other hormones in the body. So for males, cortisol has sort of an inverse relationship with testosterone in uh, both males and females. Insulin and cortisol are sort of counter-regulatory, as we would call them in more of a clinical sense, 
And then um, melatonin and cortisol are also inversely related. So naturally, as Lacey was saying, when that cortisol dips in the evening, you have this other hormone, it's a secondary hormone produced from your pineal gland, melatonin is released, and it's sort of the shot that fires, like if you think about a race, right? They fight like a 100 meter race, they fire a gun at the beginning, signaling the runners to start. Melatonin is sort of that signal to tell your body like, hey, it's time to go to sleep. So when those cortisol levels are elevated in the evening, it can really lead to some dysregulation in terms of those other hormones in your body. Uh, in terms of males, when that cortisol is elevated, cortisol is inhibiting star protein, which is Im impacting that um, cholesterol transfer in our mitochondria to produce testosterone. So there's really so many things going on stemming from that basic circadian rhythm and healthy habits uh, that we're, that can we sometimes forget about, uh, but you'll start to see them pop up in your lab work and uh, overall as you progress further on with your transformation, if something's kind of feeling a little screwy, like Lacey mentioned, those are things you can look for is, is remembering like cortisol does have an inverse relationship with those other hormones. And that's why, uh, as Lacey mentioned earlier, pre-workout nutrition, as well as um, focusing on your meals post-workout or even doing something like essential amino acids, help with muscle pr protein synthesis, we can begin to, you know, have a little bit of an insulin release. And that's where um, I'm sort of against eliminating all carbs entirely. So when folks come to me and they're um, eating very, 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 very low carb, one of the ways that we can sort of help the body is to get back into parasympathetic, excuse me, parasympathetic state post-workout is with those carbohydrates. So it's really this big picture. You can't just like solely take cortisol out or solely focus on melatonin or one thing or the other and, and focus only on those small items. You really have to have a big picture view and understand these different mechanisms and how they're intertwined together. Yes. And then something to keep in mind too is uh, high cortisol can steal from progesterone. So some people who have uh, um, cortisol issues will also develop hormonal issues. So having low progesterone and then um, that is a typically called the pregnenolone steal. But I know some people don't agree with that. Um, and then of course... That's super true. So in terms of progesterone and then also that pregnenolone steel is also very common with testosterone as well. And since males, um, we're essentially progesterone can be kind of that, uh, excuse me, testosterone can kind of be a derivative from progesterone, even though we're talking mm -hmm. different things in terms of male and female hormones, progesterone is very, very, very important in terms of the female cycle and also preventing miscarriages and all of these things has a huge role in female health, but also that pregnenolone steel, um, is sort of that beginning uh, level of, of what we're talking about in terms of um, that, that hormonal swap or inversion that we're talking about. And just for those of you kind of listening or following along, uh, pregnenolone is known as like a mother hormone. So we start all hormones with just uh, cholesterol coming into our body or being produced by our body. And we need that cholesterol precursor in terms of creating hormones. So uh, when Lacey's talking about a pregnenolone steal, that would be like a diversion away from maybe a good hormone that we want to create. Um, so sorry, Lacey, just wanted to kind of like make well, sure thank that you. folks. <laughs> Cause I know Cause it could have been somebody no. being like, what are, what are they talking? What is she talking about? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, well, cause we have fun like talking about science stuff and we're like, yeah, pregnenolone. And then I'm like, Oh wait, we got to like go back two steps and then go forward five steps. Once we like know that everyone's caught up. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, and if anybody has questions about like 
the dips in estrogen, progesterone, everything in regards to your cycle. I have described that in my previous podcast. So um, as we know, you know, ovulation, that's when we want progesterone. That's when progesterone is going to start rising up. So um, you never, you don't ever want just a low progesterone because you're not going to have ovulation. And ovulation is what matters for your period. So check back in the previous episodes. Um, So another thing that we can discuss would be the importance of lifestyle factors in our training and our nutrition. Um, And I know you've previously described a little bit about this, but I would love to talk a little bit more um, and how it's very much impactful for us to individualize every single approach. Sure. sure. So, um, and that's also super fascinating. I'm going to have to go back. I started a couple of your hormone podcasts, as I mentioned, and I think I told you some of the ones I listened to, but I always find that super fascinating. I've been doing more research on progesterone. And now that you said that the pregnenolone still is kind of controversial, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit more because I don't understand why. Um, I think you and I are like on a similar page mm-hmm. or wavelength. So mindset wise, I'm like, huh, wonder well, why someone she was would say saying that. it was because it was tissue related. So she was saying um, something about and honestly reading it. It just went over my head. Um, it was she was saying how one was developed in one tissue and the other was um, metabolite of something and they didn't convert or interact. So it couldn't matter. And I was just like. I'm confused. <laughs> so I'm going to go back and try and yeah, um, get the information in my brain. But that was the issue. Yeah. It's all tissue related. Okay. Well, I'll have to check that one out. But in terms of lifestyle factors, since we're kind of shifting gears to this question, um, you know, that would be just in terms of like we talked about earlier. So if you're, if you're skipping out on sleep, we're potentially decreasing our insulin sensitivity. We want insulin sensitivity because of all the wonderful things that carbohydrates can do for us in terms of uh, restoring muscle glycogen after workout and overall just helping us with the process of building lean muscle tissue and being protein sparing. So that's where a lifestyle factor like sleep can come into play. Or, um, you know, we think about blue light and little things that we're not really conscious of. I'm a huge fan. I grabbed some like really basic blue light blocking glasses, nothing too fancy, just because with my line of work, I tend to be on the computer and looking at my phone. You can also get um, apps for your phone or for your computer that essentially shift from blue light to more yellow light in the evening to replicate what we would experience with the sun going down. So my advice for clients is, you know, if you have a pet and you, or even if you just want to go by yourself or with a friend or significant other, and get outside earlier in the day, that's always beneficial. Um, I talked to even my doctor about this, just in terms of getting uh, sun exposure and making sure that we're out during the day and keep somewhat of a regular schedule for our body. And then in the evening, beginning to wind down and actually having some sort of routine where we begin to unplug so that um, we're essentially allowing our optic nerves to realize the change in light. So our body is this very integrated system And when we're exposed to blue light or brightness or intense amounts of sunlight, that's why like jet lag is a real thing. Or when people change time zones, it can impact your circadian rhythm. Or there have been studies on night shift nurses and the change in melatonin production that occurs uh, as a result of the change in circadian rhythm. We also see um, organ regeneration and things that normally happen during 
hours where you're sleeping, uh, generally happening at night, those things start to slowly change too. So our body is the system that's very responsive to uh, those subtle changes, whether it be something as small as a computer and being a night owl or um, having a line of work that's actually requiring you to work overnight and can ultimately begin to uh, impact your system as well. Wow, I need to get me some of those glasses some um felix gray i think that's what they were called for sure i am definitely um i definitely i know that i have blue light everywhere so fantastic that's something i'm taking away from this (laughs) to remember to get blue light glasses um and then i think something also that's very important is in regards to overall health is making sure that people understand that caffeine is not the answer because you're tired you have to make sure that you're optimizing sleep, you're listening to your body in regards to when it's very stressed out, when you need extra recovery. It's okay to take a sloth day. I think a lot of people forget that um, and they they think that they can do more always and it's very important to always put yourself, you know, you have to take care of yourself in order to take care of others. And this might be just super random, but it was just on my mind. Please make sure that you take care of yourself, guys. Definitely. And I think the caffeine caffeine point is solid as well. So, I mean, caffeine has has been studied, you know, for numerous benefits, whether stemming from delayed onset muscle soreness to cognitive function and our ability to just think clearly. And I think, you know, we've seen so many memes lately where it's like uh, bean, like all caffeine and like bean juice makes me go fast and everybody gets really excited about it, you know, and it's like, Caffeine does have a benefit, but there's a point of diminishing returns. And it's kind of like, you know, respecting your body by understanding that we do hit a point of diminishing returns and continuing to uh, pump that. Like earlier, you were talking about other elements like norepinephrine and basically this this response and energy breakdown versus recovery. So like you were saying with sloth days, taking care of yourself, um, you know, drinking water. So if you're a caffeine lover out there, you know, making sure to hydrate and drinking Um, plenty of water, making sure you're getting your electrolytes in. These are really small things that can go a long way to help balance out some of the habits that maybe you already have. Uh, I'm a big fan of, I try and have my caffeine in the morning and then taper it as the day goes on or potentially doing a little bit pre-workout depending on the time of day that I'm training. So those little changes can really go a long way in terms of, um, you know, both performance benefits and then overall lifestyle benefits as well. I think sometimes we're, you know, chasing that solution of, that caffeine or supplement that's going to help us, but then forgetting that, oh, well, this can also potentially dehydrate me. And then we don't think we don't feel as good and dehydration plays such a role in performance as well. So don't like Rob Peter to pay Paul and, and ultimately end up putting yourself in a negative position. So totally on the same page in terms of taking care of yourself um, and doing what you need to do, both from the standpoint of recovery and, you know, your daily routines. Yeah. And you know, I'm glad you mentioned water because I saw something the other day that said water is the best dietary supplement that you can buy, which I thought was perfect because, you know, if we have a lack of hydration, we don't have anything. We don't have energy. We don't have work output. We don't have any possible bodily function being optimized if we're dehydrated. So I'm going to start saying it. Water is the best supplement that you can make sure you get. Um, And just a quick note on caffeine, guys. Um, Caffeine is, you know, quickly absorbed. 
and it does start to hit within 15 minutes, but it's actually at peak concentration within an hour. So say you're working out at night and you have your caffeine at seven. Well, it's at peak concentration while you're eight. So you might still be wired after your workout and going and that might be contributing to why you're not getting to sleep on time at night. So just be careful when you're doing caffeine as well. It's not just how much, it's also when are you doing it. Totally. Totally. And we can't forget about our drug half-lives either. So with caffeine, other supplements that we're metabolizing, our body isn't just this instant on and off switch. You have to think of things as a gradient. There's So think of it as you know, you have your music dial in the car, right? You can be on like level 30 or you could be on level two. Um, we might have caffeine begin to hit within 15 minutes, like Lacey said, and we start to turn that audio um, up. But ultimately over time, you know, you can end up with higher caffeine concentration. Some people metabolize caffeine a little bit differently. A lot of pre-workout blends have different stimulants that will metabolize over time and have a more extended release. So we have to be really mindful of that when we're thinking about our consumption of these different stimulants. I'm, you know, I have nothing against the occasional stimulant or use of caffeine, but we just have to know that, hey, this isn't necessarily a quick hitting thing. And for people who train in the evening, I think that's where those non-stimulant pre-workout options can be incredibly beneficial. I think in the morning, um, you know, I'm certainly a proponent of, of caffeine when the time is appropriate, but we do have to remember those drug half-lives and, and how long things can truly stay in our system and sort of impact us both um, in terms of our brain and our body. Yeah, exactly. I find it super interesting, too, that they're looking at the genes. I know the CP1A2 is one of the genes. Um, that looking at the benefits and seeing if caffeine can be ergogenic in somebody's strength or muscle hypertrophy or work output or whatever it is. I find it super interesting that we all metabolize caffeine differently. So I'm looking for more information. Have you done a 23andMe yet? I haven't. Uh, I think so. I think my mom actually did one of those. I guess that's the perk of being like partially retired. Um, so I, yeah, I haven't really had a chance to do the 23andMe, the whole like genetics thing. Some of it's really cool. Some of it kind of weirds me out. I've heard like some conspiracy theories about it. Um, I probably should. I think, I think I would find it pretty fascinating. Um, not against it by any means, but I just haven't gotten around to it. I think right now I'm at a point where um, you know, if I have extra resources to divert towards an investigation, I'm usually looking at like my current lab work or current, um, exam of some kind that's going to benefit me in my journey right now. I think the genetics piece is really, really cool, but, um, I tend to, to do a little bit more on like the current, uh, lab panels and testing and, and doing things both like whether in within insurance or outside of insurance. So that's kind of where uh, I end up down that rabbit hole instead. Well, yeah, because really anything that we do during our day, anything in the environment, what we eat, that all influences our genes. So just because yeah. our genes say something, it's not going to be like this is exactly what the gene is transcribing or doing now because everything can ch like it, things can change. Um, there's epigenetics. So, but it was it was very interesting right. for me because I I know that I metabolize caffeine fast. So I went and I got a tweet 23andMe, and yes, it told me that I was a um, high metabolizer of caffeine. Um, I wanted to compare it and see if it was you know real versus not, and then I knew um, I easily get high B12 levels, and that was in my 23andMe. 
I knew I was at risk for macular degeneration. That was in 23andMe. Um, And then, of course, I wanted to rule out things like the onset, the late onset Alzheimer's disease, the the cancer gene, I think it's the BRC2 or something like that. Um, and just rule things out. So it was, if you can, if you want to, it's very cool to do, but it definitely is not the end all be all for this is going to always happen to you. Um, unless it's something like a genetic mutation, um, like Zoling's, what Zollinger's disease is one of them. Um, so there's just a variety of different things, but it's really cool to do. And you get to see your ancestry too. Yeah, that would be be really fascinating. Plus, there's so many, you know, new things coming out, whether it's um, in terms of cognitive degeneration and some of the supplements that are out there and and what we can sort of uh, begin to do in terms of uh, protecting ourselves for something like that in terms of cognitive decline and and everything over time. So something that I should probably be, um, probably take some steps to learn more about over the next few years. But um, I do remember kind of diving into some of the, my family members that had had them done and, and found it pretty, pretty interesting. So it's cool that, you know, you had already investigated that. Oh yeah. I'm obviously if I got a cortisol um, test and then did 23andMe and then I actually got a heavy metals test as well. Um, I, I tend to spend money just to self-experiment. It's kind of a problem. Um, probably should stop my habit, but I, I haven't yet. So there are there are definitely worse habits though, Lacey. So I can't really be too mad at you for that. Yeah, good point. Okay, so um, are there any last minute comments that you want to make to my listeners about ways we can uh, maximize our health via circadian rhythms, via the diet, or via or via exercise? Anything that you are super passionate about and you just want to scream it out to the world. Sure. So I would just recap with remembering that your habits are the foundation for everything and that simple things like sleep can really go a long way in terms of your hormonal profile. I think we lose sight of those simple things and simple habits. If you're a competitor out there or you're very advanced in your fitness journey or maybe you're a coach and you're looking for that like next level of knowledge or implementation, I think there are certainly things you can do to begin to manipulate beyond that initial 80% that we talked about. Um, Also, There are some supplements in this area that can be effective, but I would just say like word to the wise and and caution to make sure you're looking either for studies and a clinical effective dosage on anything that may potentially be benefiting you in terms of um, circadian rhythms. An area that can be super helpful if you're struggling with this is implementing some adaptogens just to help. Yeah, adaptogens can be amazing uh, regardless of age or where you're at, male or female, in your life, very, very safe, especially if you're following proper dosing and uh, can really begin to shift things. So while that's not necessarily training or nutrition, um, and Lacey's favorite supplement is water, but if we had to come up with like maybe a top 10, yeah, adaptogens might fall in there. Um, You know, certainly not as important as water, but uh, adaptogens can really do a lot in terms of giving you a little bit of while you're in the transition process, because if you really are, um, you know, over consuming caffeine or you're really struggling with sleep, sometimes it can be hard to reset that naturally on your own. So giving your body what it needs and having a little bit of a signal, whether that's going into a parasympathetic state or, um, you know, using something in the evening, whether it's five uh, HTP as tryptophan is a precursor to serotonin and serotonin can help you relax and ultimately, um, help people who maybe have anxiety or something like that. 
those types of interventions can be very, very helpful in terms of the process of uh, natural restoration without having to feel like you need to go the prescription route just because a circadian rhythm is off or you're having a hormonal imbalance. There are so many steps that you can take. So uh, my advice would just be to, you know, read what you can, listen to podcasts like this and try to be informed about it so that you're not feeling like there's no hope or maybe you have to go the conventional medicine route immediately. There's so much you can do with your healthy habits, training, nutrition, and supplementation that can really begin to point you in the right direction on your journey. Very well said. Do you have any favorite adaptogens, by the way? I'm definitely a firm lover of ashwagandha. Yes, yes, I love, so I've, I've actually heard uh, one of my uh, friends and fellow coaches have said this, but like if there was a IV drip of KSM 66 ashwagandha, like the world would be a better place. So I, um, I you know, definitely like KSM 66 ashwagandha, um, you know, a guest on your podcast. And also I know someone we both, respect in the industry. John Meadows uses sensoral ashwagandha and several products that he has. Uh, I also think that for athletes and during high training volumes and stress being imposed on your body, that uh, rhodiola, if you have the right extract for it, can be beneficial. Also, don't forget little amino acids either. So something as simple as L-theanine incorporated during the right time of day or paired with caffeine can have a certain effect on your body. And can really go a long way. You know, if you think about the cost of that investment on supplement, like L-theanine is super affordable, but can definitely have a calming effect on your body in a way that promotes what we're talking about with this healthy circadian rhythm. If I had to pick one that's generally safe for everyone and has been used in clinical studies, both folks that are, um, you know, naturally undergoing circadian rhythm changes, or even folks that maybe are under a bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, KSM 66 has been studied for all sorts of different um, therapeutic remedies and modalities. So that's a great place to start for so many people. Uh, I know for cortisol uh, dysregulation, you know, Charles Paulquin used to be a big fan of holy basil extract or leaf and other adaptogens and kind of the list goes on. So it can get really complicated. There actually could probably be a whole entire podcast on adaptogens, but um, starting really simply, you know, I think Lacey kind of has spot on KSM 66 ashwagandha is a great place to start. And, uh, I would, I would say start with something that's safe and at a dose that you can tolerate and make sure that you're having a positive response to it. And then you can always layer adaptogens that can work together. Doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, you need to throw them all in at once and take like five at the same time right away. Yeah. Don't do that. Start one, try it out, give it time, give it at least three weeks. Um, just like you would you would do any new program, any new diet, you would stick it out for three weeks. <laughs> so definitely do that. Don't throw everything into the pot and take it. Try it out. Um, I do want to hear your thoughts because I was actually just doing research uh, two days ago on CBD oil for cortisol. So have you looked at anything in regards to that? I think it's, I think it's, it's still such a new area because – the medical community and, you know, so one, it's like, because it comes from a leaf, it's kind of in this gray area of like functional medicine and regulation. and supplement. Yeah. It's like, it's not really like, is it a dietary supplement or is it a, um, like therapeutic functional medicine? Is it pharmaceutical? Um, technically like for those of you listening at home, uh, pharmaceutical companies typically are not going to try and patent anything. That's not like a novel compound or synthetic chemical, that they can essentially uh, have a uh, 
type of law or intellectual property around it that essentially allows them to sell it uniquely as opposed to other companies going after it with something that comes from a leaf. That's why like KSM 66 ashwagandha is not produced by like Pfizer or Glaxo or any of these other large, um, excuse me, pharmaceutical companies. So that's kind of the distinction there that Lacey and I are talking about. But um, I've seen CBD help with anxiety, some gut health in terms of like more on the IBS side of things, or if you have someone that's having like a very high stress response or anxiety that's triggering the gut health issues that they're talking about. I'm always a fan of like, if it's something that's a little bit stronger and seems to be um, impacting your system to a more significant degree, I don't think it's a terrible idea to rotate things, especially if you're using them as a sleep aid, because I do see a lot of people using CBD as a sleep aid. Um, CBD does sort of fall in that adaptogen category, though uh, I'd argue that Whereas like ashwagandha could, if you're wired and tired, it can help promote you. Some people take ashwagandha and they sleep better. Other people take ashwagandha and they're like, wow, I have more energy in the morning. It kind of gives you what you need, which is why it's called an adaptogen is it's essentially adapting to the environment that your body is essentially facing in terms of whatever stressors are, are presently there. So uh, I, I kind of classify CBD a little bit separately, but I think it's something that people can definitely use in their toolbox to um, try and promote healthy sleep or uh, counteract some of the, the effects of stimulants or, or caffeine or something like that as they're working, you know, towards a healthier routine. But it, it can be kind of expensive to get a good, I think to get a good quality extract of CBD can be a little bit pricier than something like the ashwagandha that we were talking about if we start um on on that end as we're we're implementing it i think what's so tough about this industry and supplements too is something like pre-workout or caffeine kind of has instant gratification like we take it and then we go to the gym and like you already you're buzzing like right afterwards or beta alanine the first time you take it you have a tingling sensation and a lot of people begin to gravitate towards that whereas um, some of the things that are actually best for you in terms of supplements don't necessarily have instant gratification, whether that's ashwagandha or it's not like you take a scoop of creatine monohydrate and all of a sudden you like squat 400 pounds. These are, uh, yeah, I know if only, right. That would, you know, some, the way people talk about it, sometimes you would think that that's what happened, but, um, you know, it's just something to remember. This is kind of an area adaptogens aren't going to provide like the instant gratification, but there's a payoff in the end. So like Lacey said, you know, considering sticking it out a little longer than three weeks, you know, if you buy a bottle, you can titrate your dosage and uh, make sure you're using everything intelligently to really get the maximum benefit. Yes. And then make sure that whatever form you're taking, whether it be liquid, pill, whatever, make sure that it's it's readily bioavailable. Um, I know a lot of different mixtures are made with black pepper, so that helps with the absorption. Um, but just be careful where you're getting it. Make sure you're getting it from a reputable, uh, reputable manufacturer. Um, I know consumer labs, you can use consumer labs to check the quality of testing. But just know that um, who you buy from matters. It's it's just like if you bought CBD, CBD oil from some rando company, it could really contain THC. You would never know unless you it was like actually third-party tested. Right. So, and that's another thing too. So you can get supplements that are third party tested. If you're going to do CBD, I would suggest like do your research and find a, find a quality company that you trust, or maybe there's some good user reviews and, and not just cause you like stumble across a hashtag on Instagram. Um, that's an area that, you know, I try and take the time to research for clients. So they're not necessarily having to, uh, you know, front 
or take a lot of risk like on their end too. So points all around Lacey. Yes. Very important. I, it's really scary because people don't even know that, you know, formulas and, um, dietary supplement companies can essentially make a formula and then just sell it out without like approval. I mean, if there's new claims, they have to have approval, but they don't have to have pre-market approval on their products as long as it's following the DSHA protocols, which um, I'll make sure I'm put a, um, not a podcast, but I'll make a a blog post about DSHA. Um, But it's scary because then really you may not be getting what you're buying. And it just kills me to think that somebody may be, may be thinking they're buying some creatine and they might be getting rice powder or they maybe think they're buying some natural testosterone product and there might be a hormone in there. You never know. Right. Right. So like that's where proprietary versus non-proprietary blends and clinical dosages are super important. And then having a company that you can trust um, plays a huge, huge role in terms of overall supplements. I know we kind of added supplements towards the tail end of the circadian rhythm discussion, but uh, I'm a huge proponent. No, no, I like I, I like it. I actually talk about it all the time. I just did Instagram stories about proprietary blends uh, the other day. And I think on my email list for, for people who are on my newsletter, we do um, different topics. So this Sunday I was talking about like Sunday supplement science and mentioning the difference. Like you might have a pre-workout product or maybe an amino acid product. And the first ingredient is says, taurine and then all of a sudden like sixth on the list is leucine well like if you don't know you know when it's just a list of commas and not necessarily uh your ingredients with each milligram dosage or gram dosage next to uh, each line item it can be really confusing for a new consumer or someone just getting into taking supplements and you know whether regardless of whether you're new to using supplements or not if you're going to spend your hard-earned money on a product you want to make sure that you're actually getting the effective dose and that if you're paying for something whether it's an adaptogen or cbd or let's say we're talking about an amino acid product you know you want to actually make sure it has leucine in it not you know just uh rice powder like lacy was talking about so something to be mindful of is looking for those um you know, non-proprietary blends can be a super, super um, important factor, like as you're starting your shopping process this time of year. Yeah. And to tag on that, just know that when you're looking at the ingredient list, the first ingredients that are listed are going to be what are in the highest quantities. And then the ingredients at the bottom are going to be in the lowest quantities. And that's something to keep in mind when you're looking at food too. So if you go and you're looking at um, a cereal and the first ingredient is high fructose corn syrup or cane sugar or coconut sugar, you know that most of the carbohydrates, even if it says like whole wheat made with all natural ingredients, if the first ingredient is sugar, you know that the majority is coming from sugar. So something to keep in mind. Use this as a way to look at both nutrition and your supplements. Totally agree. I'm glad you you wrapped that in with the nutrition too. But after all, this is, you know, you are NRD and this is a nutrition podcast. So probably probably good that we use the cereal example there at the end too. Oh God, I'm a cereal lover. That's for sure. Okay. Well, I won't take too much of your time anymore. I just want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your expertise and coming on my podcast. Um, If you could tell my listeners where they can find you, I know you're the owner of Oracle Nutrition, but where they can find you on social media, your website, um, any other specific podcast you've been on that you want to talk about and love, um, 
just share it and I will make sure that everything is in the description. That way they can click on it as well. Definitely. Thanks, Lacey. Well, I definitely appreciate you having me on today and taking the time. It was a fun conversation and hopefully it's beneficial for the listeners as well. If you guys are interested in more of our content, uh, my company is Oracle Training and Nutrition, but the website is oraclefitness.com. So it's O-R-A-C-L-E fitness.com. And then my personal Instagram is Sam Miller Science. It's all one word, just my first name, my last name and the word science. And then um, Oracle Training and Nutrition also has an Instagram page. It's just Oracle underscore coaching. Uh, one of my missions and something I'm working on is making sure that more coaches uh, have knowledge outside of just prescribing macros and making sure they actually understand uh, different applied science and, and hormones and how that can really impact people's transformations. But whether you are just on your own personal journey or um, a coach trying to help more people in your own coaching practice, I hope this is beneficial for you. And if you ever have any questions, feel free to shoot me a direct message or you can also find uh, my contact information on our website too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sam. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and I hope you have a fabulous rest of your day. Thanks, Lacey. Thanks, Lacey. All right. Bye. Have a good night.